Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, the Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, March 19th, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 36, the very first paragraph, which begins, Yet He Got Drunk Again. Today's readers are Sarah W. on the 12 Steps, Bonnie P. on the 12 Traditions, and readers of the text include Penny C., Michelle H., Melanie C., and Paula D. The reference number for yesterday, Tuesday, um, March 18th, is 6061. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sarah W. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. Everybody, my name is Sarah, and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. These are the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we 
you try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Sarah. And I will now ask Bonnie P. to read the 12 Traditions. Um, Bonnie P. from Cal- uh, from California. Uh, the 12 okay. Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. These problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Bonnie P. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we read. Anyone um, keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your sharing to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. (coughs) You are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 36, the first paragraph. And I will ask Penny C. to get us started. Thank you. Press star one, Penny, to unmute. Thank you. I thought I was unmuted. So good morning. This is Penny Sieg, recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Yet he got drunk again. We asked him to tell us exactly what how it happened. 
This is his story. I came to work on Tuesday morning. I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. Then I decided to drive into the country and see one of my prospects for a car. On the way, I felt hungry, so I stopped at a roadside place where they have a bar. I had no intention of drinking. I just thought I would get a sandwich. I also had the notion that I might find a customer for a car at this place, which was familiar, which was familiar for I had been going to it for years. I had eaten there many times during the months I was sober. I sat down at a table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. Still, no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. Poor Jim. I, I, every time we come to this part of the big book when I'm reading it um, with others especially, it's like I'm meeting an old friend again. And I just, you know, I want, I want to just wrap my arms around him and say, Jim, Jim, let me tell you, let me tell you what's going to happen. You know, let, let's not do it again this time. But this is what the, the real alcoholic is like. And, and it says on the page before, you know, I love this. It's, a, it's kind of a um, modern saying, what was he thinking? And, and, here he had had months of sobriety. He had regained his family. Everything was going well. But this is what a real alcoholic is like. If, and here it is again, many, many times, I, I'm just amazed at how many times lately I have seen, been aware of the words in the big book, the warning. He failed to enlarge his spiritual life. That's what it tells us before the, before the fall. He failed to enlarge his spiritual life. And I need to remember, I need to see that, I need to act on that, because a real compulsive ovary like me will eat again if I don't stay close to my higher power, because I really, really am convinced that no human aid can help me can help me even after many, many years of, of working these steps, of living these steps, of being abstinent. It's no guarantee against a slip. It's no guarantee about against going back to thinking like Jim is here. You know, what's, what's the problem? I can go into a bar just to have a sandwich, you know, and that, that, baffling way of thinking he's going to sell a car in a bar room it 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 not too many i don't know too many drunks who are in a bar room waiting for a salesman to come in to sell him a car and yet he was convinced he was convinced that that would happen or there was a possibility that that would happen and he knows he knows he's taking a big chance but he's denied, I think it's denial. So the lesson again for me, and I hope for all other compulsive overeaters, is that we must, we must enlarge in our spiritual life. We must strive to get closer to our higher power every single day, or we're going to be Jim. We're going to act like this again. 
And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Tennessee. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Kim? Hi, this is Lori from Connecticut, Compulsive Overeater. This is what can I share? Okay, so I hear Kim, then Lori, and then Bella. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And I have to say, this is one of my the paragraphs I always zone in on when I'm when I'm teaching people. And you know that the next paragraph is the squiggly writing, and everyone loves the squiggly writing. Suddenly, the thought crossed his mind. But if we look at the paragraph we just read, really, how sudden is it? How sudden is it? Because we were told that the thinking is the crux of our problem. So the suddenly putting the whiskey in the milk is not our problem. The problem is what are all the thought processes? What are all the rationalizations that we have before we decide to put the whiskey in the milk? You know, we're told in the doctor's opinion we cannot differentiate the truth from the false. Our alcoholic life becomes the only normal one. So I think here, you know, I remember, remember I felt irritated. I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. I mean, my, I don't know about you guys, but I always downplayed my feelings. I always would make my feelings smaller than they were. I wouldn't have been irritated. I would have been enraged. And how many times would I say, well, I had some words with my parents, when really what I told them was go F off and leave me alone. Because I'm in my, in my sick mind. You know, on the way I felt hungry, so I stopped at a roadside place where there was, they have a bar. I mean, I think to myself how many times I've been in an OA meeting and people are crying, including myself having done this, crying that I can't get out of the food or they're crying that I can't get out of the food as they're sitting there with their Dunkin' Donuts mug. What are you doing going into Dunkin' Donuts if you, if you are in the food or if you're start, you know, white-knuckled abstinent? And I let to choose. Still no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. This is not a guy that's a compulsive ovary. I mean, a, a, an alcoholic. Yet he's having sandwich after sandwich. Because he's trying to rationalize why he's there. I think to myself, how many times have I sat in coffee shops having a cup of, well, I don't drink coffee, a cup of tea after a cup of tea after a cup of tea until finally I order that muffin or that donut. I'm rationalizing in my mind why I have there. I have to recognize I am insane. And where is my insanity? Is my insanity after I put the whiskey in the milk? No, that's a biological mandate. My insanity is that I am sober and I'm making all these decisions based on myself, based on self-will, based on insane thinking that eventually gets me into the place where putting the whiskey in the milk is the most logical thing in the world. One of the places I had to come to three years ago before I became a student of this big book, and I made the decision that what this big book said was true, and I was going to do what this big book told me in the order it told me to do it, was I had to look at, after 17 years in a way, that I could only get temporary respite, and then it was my faulty thinking that was continuing to get me pummeled back in the food. So I was going to have to put the food down 100% to even be available, even be available to work these steps. But if I thought abstinence only was going to get me the solution, if abstinence was my solution, we're being told over and over again in this chapter why abstinence is our real problem. 
because absence is going to get me to the place where I've only had a few words with the boss. Absence is going to get me to a place where I think I can sell a car in a diner. Absence is going to get me to the place that I think that you know having one sandwich after another sandwich and sitting there is going to allow me to eventually be able to have enough food in me that the alcohol will be absorbed and I can drink. That is the crux of my problem. So as a member of Overeaters Anonymous who spent six, you know, 17 years suffering in this illness, I had to shut up. I had to listen to people who were saying abstinence and happy. And I was going to have to say, yes, ma'am, tell me what to do. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And Laura? It's Lori from Connecticut. Lori, sorry. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, um, you know, I came into OA first, like I shared before on this line, back in 1990, um, was told by a woman after the meeting that I'd be 300, over 300 pounds, uh, you know, if I didn't, and she was very mean the way she said it, um, if I didn't stick with this program. So I never went back. And my weight went up and up and up and up and up until I was 310 pounds, um, and then I did the exercise bulimia thing and, um, you know, got the weight off, pretty much got most of the weight off, but, you know, never, ever went to these rooms, back to these rooms again. Um, and I did go in 1990 for a little bit, but I was on the outskirts of it. I wasn't working the steps. I did have a sponsor, but she was <laughs> she was mean, too. So now I have a loving sponsor, um, and, you know, I'm learning so much. I, I found today, I'm just thinking, um, when the woman who right before me that just shared, money in my wallet, cigarettes in my pocket, the food in the refrigerator, I have to keep in my home only food that I can have. There can be no other food in this home. Money in my wallet, I have to be careful. It's better if I use my debit card because money in my wallet means, ah, my packed lunch, I don't need to have the packed lunch. Today I'll go and have salad bar at this restaurant. And who am I kidding? I get the salad bar, I get the cheeseburger and the french fries, you know. And then cigarettes, ah, you know, just like um, the gentleman here in the story, the cigarettes tie hand in hand too because, oh, yeah, okay, I'm working on my abstinence. I'm in OA now. I'm going to meetings. I'm in a big book step study, but I'm smoking. And now I want to quit smoking. Oh, so that means I can eat more? You know, and that stinking thinking, that sick thinking, you know, that alcoholic mind. And, um, you know, I'm just learning so much. It's so beautiful. Thank you. Pass. Thank you, Lori. And Bella, it's your turn. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Katie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. It's a very painful paragraph, very painful and very sad. And... It depends uh, which way we choose to read and to understand this paragraph. We can 
read it and say, poor Jim, poor guy, you know, he really was so, uh, for a while sober, and, but, you know, he came to, to work and he, he had some words with the boss. But today I, I choose to read it different and to understand this paragraph different. And it came to my mind that it's like, for me, this paragraph, uh, it's like a recipe to a cake. You know, if we want a cake should, should succeed and should come well, we have to, to choose a recipe that we understand the recipe and we follow the recipe completely. If we follow a recipe with God's help, we will get a cake very good. And here, was, what was his recipe? His recipe was I and I and I and I. We read so many times the I. I have the control of my life. This is what Jim thought. He has the control. Well, if this is the recipe, so you will not get a cake. You know, because we don't have control on our life. We are not the drivers. And when we take the driver's seat, we are coming to a dead end. This is the point. This is, this is it. We cannot be the driver of our lives. And when we are in the driver's seat, we are coming to a dead end. We, we, we are coming to the food again and again and again. We have to decide no more. We cannot be the driver anymore. And now, thank God, thank God it's a miracle that I, I, I understand that I am human and I have no control and I am so happy to give it over to the care of God. Yes, I want that God should be my driver. I don't want my life should be me and me and me. I want to go to the store. I want to go to work. I and I, I want to do, I, no, I don't want nothing. I want to do one thing. I want to do God's will for me. What God wants I should do. This is exactly what I want to do. I don't want to drive today my life. I want to give it over to, to, to the care of God. And here, instead of thinking so much about me and I, I and me, I want to give it over to the spiritual path because my disease has a part of the spiritual level, that there is a, a, a disconnection. And I am so thankful that today I understand it. Today I understand it, that I want to give over my life to the care of God. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Who else would like to share on this Hi, Larry. Sally, let me tell you who, well, let's start again. If we can. I heard Larry and Sarah. Sarah. Was that Sally Sarah. I heard? Yeah, it is Sally. Sally, and who else? Janice Sharon. and Jerry. Janice and um, 
you know what, maybe I did work the steps, or at least I thought I did, but I held on to the worst stuff, the stuff that I thought I would take to my grave. I didn't share in step five, you know, courageously and fearlessly the whole story. You know, I kept some things to myself. I shared a little bit with this one, a little bit with that one. The point is, is that Jim, you know, when we look at Jim and it says that he got drunk again, you know, and he's looking again like me, you know, what happened? Well, whatever happened, you know, this was his story. You know, he showed up somewhere. I, the, the solution is not half measures or making a beginning. That's great if you're making a beginning. But the solution is working it through as if your life depends on it with the right mindset, thoroughly, fearlessly. You know, I get people that call me and, and you know, um, sometimes they're putting, nothing else was more important to me than my recovery. And yes, I have to work, and yes, I have to be a father and do all these things, and, and all these things are important. But I could not be a good father. I could not be a person, you know, available to others, be fully present unless I made pro, put program first. And now the beauty of the spiritual awakening is that I want to be there for other people, not just carry the message. I'm a changed man. I'm not fighting it. I'm not restless and irritable and stepping on you and chewing you up and spitting you out and walking around dripping with resentment and fear and all those things. I was before. I had a spiritual awakening as a result of working these steps through thoroughly. And I'm not now. I'm not that person now. That's the important thing I take from this this story. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. Uh, Sharon, you're next. Hi, Kathy. This is Sharon. And I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Colorado. Uh, Yet he got drunk again. We asked him to tell us exactly how it happened. This is his story. I came to work on Tuesday morning. I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. I had no intention of drinking. I just thought I'd get a sandwich when I stopped at this roadside place. Um, You know, uh, identifying in with this, oh my gosh, I see the vicious cycle of addiction starting right now with this gym. Um, He felt irritated, but he kind of blew that off. No big deal. You know, one of the things I saw over and over again when I did steps four through nine, I pretended that didn't bother me. I pretended that didn't bother me. So I refused to accept that I was irritated. And why? Because I was jealous that now once I had owned that agency and now it belonged to someone else and I had to work for him. Then the next thing was I had a few words with the boss. Nothing serious. And that was me. I was, I was one that would just be seething with resentment on the inside, but I wouldn't do anything about it, and I wouldn't say anything. And then this insane thought would come up, not related to any of that, but that would say, well, gee, maybe if I, um, you know, maybe if I have a glass of milk and a protein sandwich, then I can eat a whole bag of M&Ms, and it won't bother me this time. I mean, I just see the insanity so clearly of my mind, my obsessive mind that refuses to see that God is working in this mind 
for me to see the truth about myself. And it isn't always pretty, just like with Jim. You know, he was he had those all those human traits that I have. And yet he pretended he didn't have them. And then what happened? He started down that dark road around the clock of the vicious cycle of addiction. And I have done that over and over and over again myself. So that's why I can see it so clearly today for what it is. And I am so grateful that God is transforming and renewing and restoring my mind, but I can't think, oh, now I never get angry or irritated or, or jealous. I'll set myself up for failure in a New York moment if I believe that. But what I'm given today is the courage of God's grace to see it for what it is and get down and do those steps, four through nine. Whether, now, I'm through those steps now, but I use that same process on the 10th step because I can't afford to hang on to that kind of thinking because I know where it will take me. So God continues to help me see the truth about myself, give it to him and to another human being, ask to see whatever that situation is, to see that person as sick just like myself, and then go out and help someone else. Trust in God, clean my house, and then serve others. And that was the part that I never saw before. I just didn't see this mind, this sick mind, and how it works and how it will lead me back to addiction if I pretend these things are not part of me. They are part of me. But God is decreasing them on a daily basis as I am willing to take up that simple spiritual toolkit and do what I need to do so that he can do what he can do in my mind to keep me on the right track. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Sharon. Um, Sheila, go ahead, please. Good morning, Sheila from New York. Thank you for your service. Um, I definitely wanted to identify, and um, this is one of the assignments that I got early on when I started doing work with a, a guider. And um, this particular page stands out quite a bit for me because I had to count how many eyes was on this page. It's a total of 25 eyes. And for me, this page is a reminder of just how cunning and baffling this disease of my mental obsession can be. Because when I'm in the eyes, that means for that day I've dressed in my victim or my martyr's outfit. Those are the clothes that I've chosen to wear today, and that's the show that I've chosen to show the world. And when I do that, I'm setting myself up. That means I've taken my will back, and I've told my HP to step aside. I got it again today. Whenever I do that, I'm setting myself up. You know, um, I have not surrendered to a power greater than myself, and I'm totally into the eyes. Um, my heart goes out to Jim because I know how difficult that is. You set out with a plan and your food plan for the day, and then life comes in, and something just slips in, and you can so easily turn all of that over. So on a daily basis, I have to ask my higher power to step in and be ahead of my life. And uh, when I'm in the eyes, I know I'm setting myself up. But how do I relieve that today? I do service. I get out of myself. I make phone calls. I check on folks, see how they're doing, and I get away from the eyes. Because when I'm wearing my clothes of eyes, it's like an in-person clothes. I'm setting myself up for trouble. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Sheila. Um, Sally, it's your turn. Thank you, Cass. It's Sally. We covered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. 
So it starts out saying, yet he got drunk again. And we know that on the paragraph before this, he had uh, apparently gotten drunk a half a dozen times in rapid succession. So this is, he got drunk, number seven. When they ask him, we ask him to tell us exactly how it happened. They don't really care how it happened. They want to know They're asking him how it happened because they want him to see what happened. Because we all know that you could get drunk because I was too happy, I was too sad, I was in, I was um, in a happy mood today, I was, you know, down in the dumps today. It doesn't really matter why. What matters is that this guy gets step one, that he is powerless over the substance that his life is unmanageable. So they asked him to tell us exactly how did it happen. Same thing that they asked us in the bottom of the page before. What happened? They asked him the same exact question. What happened? So here's his story. I came to work on Tuesday morning. I would love to know what happened on Monday morning. I remember I felt irritated. There's his restless, irritable, and discontent that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. So he's got his eyes on himself. He's easing God out because you can see ego is all over that sentence. I have to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. We're told on page 35 that he, that he inherited it. So you know, he might have actually been a two-year-old little kid at some point walking around the same dealership hanging out with his dad or his uncle or his grandfather. This guy's got a lot of memories in this place, and he was the boss. I see an entitled person here who is looking at his life and thinking, I can't believe this has happened to me. i got to work for these guys when I used to be like the boss in this place. So he's irritated. He had to be a salesman for a concern he once owned. I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. That's a very important sentence. We're told... um, On the bottom of page 103, we're told, besides we have stopped fighting anybody or anything, we have to. We're told on page 98, the bottom of the page, argument and fault finding are to be avoided like the plague. We're told on the bottom of page 84, seems to be the bottom line of a lot of pages. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone even alcohol, and we're told on page 77, well, you can look it up. The bottom line is, this guy is minimizing what happened. He's upset. He had words with the boss. Nothing serious because he's minimizing. Then I decided to drive into the country and see one of my prospects for a car. On the way, I felt hungry, so I stopped at a roadside place where they have a bar. I'm really am tempted to say blah, 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 because we all know it's exactly the same thing. Whether we drive down the street to, in New Jersey, it's a Wawa. In New York, it's a deli. Wherever you are, you've got that place you've been to a million times. And, yeah, maybe you've been able to, you know, walk on a tightrope and walk in. He says he's walked in there before while he's been abstinent. But maybe he did walk in there in a, in a better frame of mind than he walked the tightrope. But this is not a good day for him, and he put himself in harm's way. And as I said yesterday in, in the after meeting, when I got abstinent, and I have had 31 years of stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, I can stop. 
I just can't stay stopped. But I had a lot of years of stop, start, falling off the wagon, two months of abstinence, fall off the wagon, hit my head hard, scratch my head. What happened? I can do the same thing over and over. It's like a revolving door for a lot of us. The bottom line is, at least for me, the bottom line is, Stay out of dangerous places. Put yourself in ICU intensive care for a couple of months. Focus on your program and stop walking into the same revolving door. Be deliberate about your actions and keep in mind page 102. Go or stay, but be sure you're on solid spiritual ground. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Sally. And um, we have two more people. I just want to give a gentle reminder that uh, we are to self-time for three minutes. Um, We have so many people who want to share today. Thank you. Uh, Janice, you're next. Press star one to unmute. Hey, um, I was going to pass, but um, what little I can say is that and it's really all been said um i think the point here is that you know he did not get step 1 he knew he had some knowledge like i did um and i still do but you know that's just that that's not enough to have this knowledge of okay i accept i accept that i am a compulsive overeater but yet I'm going to do this, this, and this. You see, that doesn't mean that I'm powerless. If I have the knowledge, if I say I accept and I admit it is one thing, but, you know, he still thinks he has the knowledge, and that's not, you know, step one, step two. You know, everything is going good. I'm abstinent. I'm abstinent. Oh, I'm all set. You know, but but we don't realize when we're just in abstinence that it's not enough, that uh, there's going to come that day that the mental obsession is going to kick in because we know in step one that we have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. So it's never going to be enough abstinence and knowledge and willpower. I mean, it's just not. That's our experience. So, you know, we're going to try every form of self-deception and experimentation to prove myself, because I did for years, that I'm an exception to the rule. I'm unique. I'm not really a compulsive overeater. See, I can stop, but what happens? I can't stay stopped. And that's the message um, that I have to give because the recovered sequence is you get recovered first, then the family, then the job, not the other way around. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks, Janice. And Sherry. Star one to unmute. I did. Good morning. Uh, Thank you. Um, Oh gosh. Um, uh, You know, I'm like a sponge (laughs) absorbing all of this, and um, I think I'll be that for the rest of my life. Um, Yeah. You know the um, the word I in that paragraph. I highlighted it, and it was there nineteen times <laughs> and um and you know I am learning just how um poisonous and how potent that poison is 
which is resentment. Um, I can't entertain that like um, like normal people because of my the allergy of the body. Um, and and uh, I also tried um, putting the I in um, in a in a couple of sentences on page uh, thirty seven, but there was always a curious mental phenomenon that parallel with my sound reasoning, there inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. Um, you know, I don't have sound reasoning. You know, normal people may, but I don't. And I don't have a normal body either. It craves sedation. I, I don't realize that at the time, but, um, you, you know, that's just all I have ever known. So um, I am learning slowly, but onward, that um, that I have a, um, a maladjusted brain, and, you know, I have a maladjusted body, too, and they go hand in hand. And I can't, I can't risk holding resentment. I have got to go get somewhere, really, really go somewhere, <clears throat> and and pray because I know where it's going to lead me. And you know, before it ever gets me to the food, it's so it's so darn uncomfortable, the resentment inside of me. Anyway, um, and thank you for letting me share, and I'll pass. Thank you, Sherry. Okay, let's move on to the next paragraph. And Michelle H., would you read it for us? Yes, good morning. This is um, Good morning, Kathy and Vision, for you. This is Michelle H., recovered compulsive overeater in Missouri. Suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the milk. I vaguely sensed I was not being too smart but felt assured as I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach. The experiment went so well that I ordered another whiskey and poured it into more milk. That didn't seem to bother me, so I tried another. And, um, yeah, we've been talking about that this chapter, more about alcoholism, is is describing to me and, 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 you know, letting me see through this experience of Jim the, the mental obsession, this obsession that um, I've heard others say that is going to take possession of me, this thought, this thought that this time it'll be different, this time it's not going to hurt me, and um, it's this lie again. And, you know, I'm quite, I'm quite um, sober, Jim's sober, I'm abstinent when this occurs. I'm, I'm out from under the anesthesia, and um, I, I didn't see that my thinking was this distorted, you know, I can't see it because I'm thinking it. They're in my thoughts. And this was the, um, you know, they say that, you know, we've been taught that this is the crux of the problem. It's in my mind. It took me a while to um, to believe this because, you know, at the beginning of the chapter, it says no one likes to believe or think that, you know, that I don't want to think that I'm bodily and mentally different from my fellows. I could embrace the bodily difference that, yeah, when I took in certain substances, that, you know, I had this physical craving and I couldn't stop. But it took me the longest time 
um, to really see that I am so powerless over this mental obsession that it's going to take me. I'm not even going to see it. And I, I know I think I think I'm smart. I think I'm intelligent. You know, the the big book tells us that Jim's a good salesman. Everybody likes him. He's intelligent as far as they can see. And so that's what it was for me as far as I could see, and others would tell me it seemed like I was intelligent. So why couldn't I take control over this mental obsession? You know, why didn't I have any power over it? Um, I, because, I, because I have the mind of an alcoholic. I have the mind of a compulsive overeater. It is defective, and it's showing me here. Just You know, as I'm looking at this, you know, it doesn't make sense that someone who was who had lost everything and then things were being restored and things were looking better. It doesn't make any sense that this thought would come. Why wouldn't I have some power over it? And that's the lesson that I needed to learn um, through my own experience, that I have a mind just like this. I have a mind just like this. It's going to lie to me. It's going to tell me this time it's going to be different. Whether I'm, you know, and, and while I'm abstinent, while I'm not even putting the substance in my body, this is what my mind, this is the inner working of my mind. And I need, needed to see that my mind is different, that my mind doesn't work well, and that my, I am powerless over it. And then, you know, the, the previous chapter that tells me that there is a solution, it tells me, you know, I, I have no mental defense against this. The, the defense, but there is a solution, and I do have a defense, and it's having, you know, getting the power, the relationship with the power greater than myself. And, you know, steps four through nine is what helps me and what it does establish that relationship with God and gets me, um, brings me into that spiritual plane, that spiritual way of living so that I can access that power because I am truly, utterly powerless. And I can't rely on self. You know, Jim was relying on himself, and this is exactly what I would do. I would rely on self. And until I, you know, would admit my powerlessness bodily and mentally, I'm different, I'm powerless, I'm doomed unless I, unless I admit my powerlessness. Because if I don't think I'm powerless, why would I want to seek out another power? Why would I want to humble myself? Why would I want to take steps four through nine? I wouldn't, and I didn't, until I admitted I was powerless, both bodily and mentally. Yes, I am different. But there's good news. There's good news. Yes, I am doomed. Yes, I am powerless. But the good news is that there is a solution, and many have gone before me and worked these steps and gained access to that power and are recovered today. And I'm grateful to say that for today, you know, one day, one day today, um, you know, I see that there is a solution, and I see that I'm powerless, and I embrace that solution and that power today by the grace of God. Thanks. I'll pass. Thank you, Michelle. Who would like to share on this paragraph? This is Paula. May I share? Okay, I heard Lauren S. And Paula, and was there anyone else? Yeah, Rochelle. <clears throat> Rochelle? Mm-hmm. And anyone else? Okay, let's start with Lauren S. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Lauren S., a recovered compulsive reader from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. All right. Jim. Oh, yeah. Jim, Jim, Jim. Um, these stories remind me whether I am a low bottom like Jim 
you know, lost my job. Uh, this was me. This was me in my um, disease. I had lost every job I had worked. Um, uh, my last job I only worked at for about two weeks. Uh, I, I wasn't going to class anymore at all. And I was not seeing anybody other than a grocery store or a CVS cashier. Okay. Or if, let's say I was a high bottom like Fred that we will read who who is just, who in my opinion was a functional, um, useful person in many areas. This isn't about that. This isn't about what your outer look like. This isn't about how much you weigh, where you live, what your job is. That's, 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 this isn't about how long you've been abstinent. Scrap that. This isn't about how many chips you have. This is about if you are a real compulsive overeater. And we're on page 36. We've already went past the pages of identification. We're, we're still trying to identify now. If I identify with those, those pages about, in the doctor's opinion and others about the real compulsive overeater, I have an insanity about my mind that causes me to believe a lie. Jim's lie is he can control and enjoy his drinking. This isn't about the physical part of the disease. This is about the spiritual unmanageability, the mental obsession. This is not about just the physical part. There's something insane about our thinking. Uh, thank you. I will pass. Thank you, Lauren. Paula, are you there? I am here. Thank you. This would be Paula, and thank you, Kathy, for your service. This would be Paula, compulsive overeater. We see here it starts with suddenly. The thought crossed my mind, and there was no suddenly there. The thought crossed his mind, but see, it stayed. And once it stayed, the action followed. And we see that very clearly here. And he knew. But it doesn't matter what you know. We all know about self-knowledge. I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the milk. I vaguely, vaguely, just cloudily, sensed that I was not being any too smart. But, that but, so forget everything he said felt reassured as I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach. That experience went so well, they ordered another whiskey. And there it is. It's always going to be another. We see here that the truth on 33, commencing to drink after a period of sobriety. We are in a short time, as bad as ever. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind. You hear the reservation in Jim. Nor any lurking notion. Oh, no. The lurking notion came forward that someday we will be immune, be immune to alcohol. Hear the truth again. That didn't seem to bother me. So I tried another. And that we continue. With that, I do pass. Thank you. Thank you, Paula. And Rochelle. Hi, did you say Rochelle? Yes, I did. Okay, hi, good morning. This is Rochelle from Baltimore. 
uh, recovered food addict. I, I really want to thank everybody on this line. And I, in fact, I really want to thank this line because if it weren't for this technology, I wouldn't be able to be on this meeting every morning. It's made such a difference for me to be on this year and having started last year, you know, and, and just seeing these pages a lot more vividly than when I used to go into meetings and and uh, yeah, yeah, did you read the big book? Oh yeah, 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 okay. So let's go on with the meeting and share like Queen for the day, you know, and um just big difference. Real big eye opener. So I guess what I wanted to share this morning and, and I, I've been so impressed with everybody share. I don't have a lot to say. But for me, I, I could have written this paragraph. I, I could have written it, but it would have been a little bit different. It would have been, okay, there was something bothering me, and then I went, I was in the store, and I, was, I had to go to the candy aisle, you know, and uh, I had to do my shopping anyway, and I had to buy stuff, you know, so uh, it wasn't going to be for me, it was going to be for the kids, you know. And then later on, it's different. Now I'm in program, and, and, uh, and of course, those things that I bought for the kids, they wind up getting eaten, and the kids would say, what happened to it? You know, oh, um, mm-hmm, I don't know, mm, whatever. But but now it it uh, I had to, actually I did have to go to the candy aisle because I had to buy candies and stuff for a celebration. And um, I think I went when I was a little hungry, you know, and I should have been paying more attention to the clock and should have eaten my lunch on time. And instead, I was there on the candy aisle, and guess what? I felt as though I was inhaling sugar. You know, I mean, none of those packages were open. They weren't open, but as I went down the aisle, I could inhale and smell that sugar, which was so compelling. I dashed away from there. I got out of there. I wasn't like Jim. I decided, hey, this is dangerous. I can't be here. I got to get out of here, and and I, I kept my sobriety. You know, and for me, that is such a change in my life. It means that I really get it. You know, and I got to remember that I got to be careful every day. You know, if I do get a food thought, i got to look at the clock and say, Rochelle, weren't you supposed to eat your lunch at uh, no later than 2 o'clock today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I do, you know, like just one day at a time, understanding that I am a food addict and that's the way I've been constructed. And i got to re- respect that and i got to turn that over to my higher power and i got to look for, as someone else said, what direction my director has to say. Because I can't be in the driver's seat. i got to step aside. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rochelle. Thank you, everyone who has shared today and everyone who's been listening. Uh, We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Melanie C., would you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, thank you. Good morning. My name is Melanie C. I'm calling in from Oregon today, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as we trudge the road of happy destiny. 
May God bless you and keep you. Until then.